Welcome back, new listeners and old, to the Haunted Historian Podcast. Today's episode took the team deep into Northern California's wine country, where for two days, we had planned to plant our own roots among the vines to conduct the first ever investigation of what is, in many circles, considered to be America's most haunted winery. What came from this investigation was more than any of us could have expected. It not only verified the legends of the property, but due to the intensity of the encounters has left the family wondering where to turn. So sit back, turn off the lights and enjoy the show. This is the Phantom of the Vineyard. So since moving to Phoenix, Arizona about two years ago now, hands down the most nerve-wracking and difficult hurdle to navigate, paranormally speaking, has been the lack of haunted locations. You can stay in Phoenix or you can drive three hours south and get to the next small town. You can drive three hours north and get to the next northern town, or you gotta head across state lines and go to California or New Mexico or Nevada or something like that. And as a guy who came from Ohio, a location which in my opinion, and a lot of other people, has the most haunted destinations per capita, it's been um, a hard pill to swallow, especially when trying to locate and lock down unique locations that nobody's had a chance to set foot in yet. So naturally, in a lot of the research and a lot of the outreach that we've done, turning our attention to a lot of the rumored haunted wineries in Northern California has been a prime target for the Haunted Historian team. And to give you some background on that, nine times out of 10, we don't hear anything back from anybody. It is a lot of fielded phone calls. It is a lot of empty-ended emails that you never hear anything back from, but this was one of the instances where all of the stars aligned perfectly. The universe was looking out for us. And when I'm saying that, I am alluding to what has turned out to probably be a top three investigation in my time at none other than the famous home of Phantom Vineyards. I had coordinated with their marketing team for about three or four months now, starting back at the very beginning of summer. And this was for myself and another investigator to fly out to Sacramento, rent a car, drive an hour or so out to Clarksburg. And after hours, when all the wine was done being poured, when all of the guests had disappeared and the staff had exited for the night, they were going for the very first time in their history to allow a paranormal investigation team to investigate what is, by most accounts, perhaps the most haunted winery in the United States. And for those who don't have a lot of background on Phantom Vineyards, they are stocked up in every store that you could possibly go to. They become nationally recognized uh, for the Phantom of the vineyard that they popularly use to brand and speak about the wines that they make. Through the years, 
uh, different accounts from different folks uh, of having just experiences of things that you can't quite explain while, you know, maybe working alone in the cellar or, you know, being out in the vineyard really early in the morning for harvest and the bottling line and things like that. And so over the years, those kind of stories had grown and there's definitely uh, a good portion of people who are firm believers in the phantom and there's a lot of skeptics around as well it's like it's a bunch of hocus pocus or something the allure for the haunted historian team to go there was largely based on seeing if there was any actual truth to these stories that they've been sharing with the masses for so many years that had made the wine so credible, especially as they began teaming up with a lot of leading horror and paranormal icons and social media. It was something that we wanted to get to the bottom of. So to have this opportunity to lock down at their estate and to lock down on the winery with their team was second to none, truly. I, I will say it was visually and aesthetically a lot different than the a lot of the mansions we go to or hospitals or things like that. It was a gorgeously designed and immaculately kept uh, estate there and the properties out in wine country, but it was no doubt one of the most horrifying evenings of my life. It was on the weekend of, I want to say August 6th, traveled out to Sacramento and we went out on Friday night to meet up with the Phantom Vineyards team. This first day of the weekend, they were intending only to give us a run through and a tour of the three buildings that stood on the property. The very first one was the publicly facing building. It was the tasting room. It was kind of private events, private party room, where they set up a lot of their dinners and galas and things of that nature. We went in there, we got to meet their team. They were absolute sweethearts. They had a whole gift box ready for us with wine and merchandise and things of that nature. But they walked us around. They showed us where a lot of the more popular events had happened, where a lot of staff members had heard odd things or heard footsteps in the stairs. They took us next door to the production facility where a lot of their shipping and merchandising happens. And they walked us around all the pallets of material and the offices in this building and shared one of the most famous accounts at their winery, which was the early workers who come there in the bleak hours of the morning and hear heavy bootsteps walking around the concrete floors of the building. And in what we didn't even expect as an opportunity, they took us next door to what was the former house of the owner for uh, Bogle Winery, one of the owners. Um, they let us walk inside and they let us check the house out. They told us some popular accounts. They let us meet the property cat that hung out in the garage all the time named Fang. Definitely one of my favorite aspects of the investigation. And last but not least, they let us walk amongst the vines. They were getting ready to pick them in two weeks. So everything was ripe, bountiful, picturesque, as beautiful as it, as it could possibly be. And amidst all the green grass and the pristine layout of the winery was nothing. We were in the middle of nowhere. The only thing around us were rivers 
tree lines, and empty dirt roads. It was very telling that we were on a, on a vineyard, but at the same time, it was also perhaps one of the instances in an investigation where I never felt more secluded. It was the epitome of the situation wherein if you scream, if things go poorly, there is going to be nobody around to hear you yell for miles. You are on your own. So it was a great opportunity to get that acclimation to the property. And um, the owners actually took, uh, took the opportunity to sit down upstairs uh, in AJ's, which is the upstairs event space in the tasting room. And they shared all of their knowledge of the winery. They shared their personal experiences. They shared their expectations that they had for us at this investigation, which wasn't much. They had had and heard some strange accounts, but they didn't think much of what was about to happen. But there is one thing that was shared with us that we absolutely did not expect. Uh, we're keeping their names all out of this. We're gonna, you, you could obviously search it, but we're just gonna refer to them as the owners that when her family was living inside of the home, the third building that we've been shown on the property, there were a couple of strange incidents, but nothing else beyond these incidents. There was an evening that her two daughters were sitting in the living room watching television. And while they did this and she was making dinner and a family friend was sitting at the kitchen island, she stops. And she stops because she just saw her youngest daughter, couldn't be older than five or six, run around the kitchen and sprint up the stairs towards the second story. She stops and she looks up there, very confused, and then looks back into, into the living room where her youngest daughter is still sitting. She tells this to her friend who kind of, you know, as you can imagine, brushes it off. But the very next night, it's the same situation. The family friend is over, they're making dinner, the daughters are in the living room, and he sees a little girl, looks exactly like the youngest daughter, run around the kitchen, sprint up the stairs leading to the second floor, only this time he hears a as soon as that girl gets to the top of the steps. This was not information they had ever shared with anybody. The look on the eyes of the employees of Bogle Winery, as the owner told us this, was uh, very thrilling to see the fear in everyone's eyes. Not in like a mean way, but in the sense of we are getting firsthand accounts right now. This is information that is not divulged to any member of the public, even to their own staff. So that was peculiar to say the least. And as we packed up the car and expressed how excited we were to return later on in the weekend, tomorrow evening to be exact, that was top of mind on the conversation for my fellow investigator and I as we uh, headed back to our Airbnb. We woke up Saturday morning and we were already itching to get back to the vineyard and conduct the investigation, the first one in its history. And luckily, uh, as you had heard a lot about in our previous episode, Sylvia and I were already staying in a very haunted Airbnb. So throughout the course of the day leading up to the 
8 p.m. point at which we were supposed to be out at the vineyard. We had already been experiencing things. We were in the right mindset. We, we, we were very primed to go as far as an investigation could go. But um, we were very fortunate in that for the evening, we had two members of the Bogle Winery team who were willing to lock down and join us to be able to see if they could gather any social media content, if they could have some first-hand encounters alongside the Haunted Historian team that they'd be able to relay back to the company and perhaps help further develop the legend of the Phantom of the Vineyard. And their names uh, were Brenda and Whitney. And we actually have Whitney here with us right now who is uh, willing to share some kind of mental feedback on what they thought going into it and what actually unfolded throughout the course of the night. We expected to not have such of a big role in the investigation, I guess. We went in thinking we could, you know, get our content, just be supportive, but you can definitely tell once we got there and we got started, this was more of, you know, like a team team effort night and um, it was just really interesting to learn from you both and just continue the investigation all together. We weren't prepared for it being so different at night when you know all of the kind of day-to-day -day activities were no longer going on and it was just peaceful there and out by the you know we're in between the river and the slough and there's the vineyards and it's just a very peaceful space but there was a lot of activity that's happening when when everybody else is going to sleep we pulled into the gravel lot of the at that point empty vineyard parking lot pulled all of our equipment out of the back end and started making way immediately for the tasting room we were met by Brenda inside of the tasting room who, for whatever reason, couldn't figure out where the lights were at. So from the very get-go, we were already covered in darkness and we had our phone flashlights out, setting up our cases, pulling out EVPs, EMFs, REM pods, grid lights, everything of that nature. We let her know what the plan was for the evening. Primarily that we just wanted to go down the line. We wanted to first investigate the tasting room. We wanted to then go over to the production facility where the brand's most famous incident with the stomping boots in the morning uh, emanates from. And then we'd finish off on the family home where we had the other evening been shared the information that a small girl kept running up the stairs there. But we didn't get that far into unpacking until the evidence already began happening. And I want to make note for listeners, and I've said it before, I'm sure I will say it again, and I'm gonna say it right here. Investigations like this at locations that have never been before been visited in this particular capacity are typically considered baseline investigations. Spirits there generally don't know how to interact with a lot of the equipment that we have. It's very touch and go. It's very informative in how we interact with them. We were hoping throughout the course of the evening that we might get an EVP response. We might hear something with our own ears that was definitive or at least strange. Something that we could both board our plane the next morning and say, there is some validity to the Phantom of the Vineyard. There is something there. 
And I'm just going to say, before I proceed into telling the events that unfolded that night, there is a lot more to the Phantom of the Vineyard than even the Bogle Winery team knew. Something that is a lot more mysterious, that is a lot more multifaceted, that is a lot more powerful than even myself and Sylvia had expected. As we stood in the main entryway of the tasting room, we were all absolutely startled when the back door into the tasting room slammed shut. It was such a force that I jumped around and I looked at Brenda, who was over behind the bar, and I asked her if she she just slammed the fridge or if she moved the trash can or she did something of that nature. I asked the same thing of Sylvia, but they were all, they were already looking at me with the same look of shock. And we look at Brenda and we're like, what, what, what was that? And she said, without a moment's hes- hesitation, that was the back door to the winery. When we first got there and we heard that first door slam, I wasn't expecting for it to just start all of a sudden, <laughs> but I guess you don't do that. You don't go in saying, okay, we're starting now, but um, it was definitely a welcome to the whole experience. I immediately send Sylvia outside the front door. I ask her to loop around the building and see if anybody's here. Mind you, we're the only car in the parking lot. There are no cars on the road. It is pitch black. It is blacker than night out there in the middle of wine country in California. Uh, Brenda and I, we go to the back of the door and we open it up and we look around. There's nobody there. And perhaps the most damning piece of this evidence is that it is a mechanized door meaning it cannot rest on its hinges slightly opened. It will close magnetically. It cannot be pushed open and not closed immediately through the just general mechanism force that swings it right shut. It is a heavy metal door, a security door, essentially, that nobody can tamper with unless you are a physical person or unless you are a powerful entity. And it took 45 seconds into us standing inside of the tasting room for the door to slam. So from the moment we walked into that building, something was holding that door wide open. And the second we opened up our stuff and said, let's begin, we heard that slam. Either something informing us they were ready to begin as well, they were ready to be able to speak for the first time, or that they had just left the building. But it was startling. And I'm a guy who's heard a lot of doors close. I'm a guy who's seen a lot of inanimate objects of that nature move around. The weight of this door and the force that it gave was incredible. It was an incredible piece of evidence to capture. How long were you in the building at that point? Was this like 10, 15 minutes? This was 45 seconds. We hadn't even gotten all of our stuff out of the out of the bags yet. Okay, so this was like almost instantaneous, like things are already happening. Exactly. The investigation had not even fully taken off. As as I mentioned, we were just beginning to introduce Brenda Brenda to the process that we were going to be running through that evening. The investigation was in its preliminary stages, if anything, and something grade A like that happened that shook her so much that as a girl who works there day in and day out, she had never heard that it just, it set her off. I'll tell you that much. But thank goodness there was a second story. We all agreed, let's grab our stuff. Let's go upstairs and set up up there. And let's see if we can hear anything downstairs, hear anything downstairs while we're doing it. Now, it wasn't shortly after that. Whitney arrived as well from a wedding. 
She got out of the car. We escorted her up. She, we watched her drive down the main road. So it was not her on the property either. And we just started talking them through once again, round two, what was going to happen that evening. And I think we investigated for about five minutes inside of that building. Because while we were walking them through what we wanted to do in each building, there were the most distinct footsteps walking around the tasting room downstairs. You heard thumps, you heard bangs. At one point, we had to just rush down there because there was the shared genuine fear that somebody was inside the vineyard, that somebody had actually wandered in, an animal, a person, something. This happened two or three times while we were unloading our stuff upstairs. And every time we went down there, we walked down the stairs, opened the main door into the main tasting room, nothing. The doors were closed, we searched around, we turned our lights on, there was nothing around, nothing out of place even. We just would hear something moving about. I don't know if it was trying to let us know of its presence, or that when the lights go off the vineyard and every day, every evening that the employees leave, there's a new manager of the tasting room, but it was startling. Yeah, it's almost and like a routine that they get into at night and they just kind of maybe a bit caught off guard by why are these people here and exactly what are they doing here at this time of night. Exactly. And, you know, and I, I can't express enough that, like, you know, at least at, at the very least, how nice and modern everything looked almost instilled, instilled a mental fortitude in all of us that we were always willing to walk around and check things out and go into that room alone or do this or that. But it was such incredible footsteps and with your own human ears that you could hear moving about that you were fine going down there alone and checking it out. But as startling and incredible of evidence as, as all that was, I think the most incredible pieces of evidence were what followed even. We opened up the main doors of the tasting room and began going down the line of buildings. We closed all the doors, both the door to the upstairs, it's also a mechanized door, so it closes on its own, and we also closed the front door to the vineyard and we made way for the production room. The production room, throughout the course of the evening was probably the most mild-mannered room. What was very interesting to experience there is that we actually did catch audio evidence of what sounded clear as day on the other side of the building, heavy bootsteps walking around. It lasted for maybe three or four seconds, disappeared, and nothing else in that building happened the entire evening. But I remember turning to Sylvia and to the uh, to Brenda and Whitney and saying, you know, I don't care if anything else happens the entire course of the evening. This entire national brand was built around the evidence that we just witnessed firsthand. That is incredible. We walk back to then from that main building, not to the third building, but back to re-up on some fresh equipment for the final building, the family's home. Now, this was when things got interesting. We got back to the tasting room. The front door to it was wide open. We peeked our head inside, kind of yelled once again, is anybody in here? Not, not even necessarily speaking to ghosts, just in general. Is anybody standing in here? <laughs> like, this isn't natural. And we kind of joked to each other and we're just saying, 
It's only going to be creepy if we go upstairs and the mechanized door is wide open. We open the main door to head up the stairs. The mechanized door is standing wide open. That can't happen. That can't be happening. It's it's not possible. It's I open the door and I tell them that and they think I'm joking. Sylvia, Brenda, Whitney look at me. That's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. And they round the corner, shine their lights upstairs, wide open. We all just kind of rush up there, peek our heads in again, look in the doorway, kind of ask if anybody's holding it open. Nobody. So we just kind of wander in. We grab our fresh equipment. We grab everything that we'll need for the final home, keeping in mind that it really looks like whatever was in here initially at the start of the evening followed us to the next room, left before us, opened every door in this building, and it's probably going to follow us right back out. We grabbed our stuff, and mind you, while we did this, we heard quite the bangs downstairs in the first floor. You'd almost become accustomed and used to it at this point. We were just kind of looking at each other, smiling and smirking like, my gosh, something is down there. We just, we don't know what it is. And we re-exited the tasting room. And we went over to what would, believe it or not, turn out to be the building that had some of the most incredible activity I've ever experienced in my 10 years exploring locations around the world. We went into the former family's home. Some furniture was still in it. It was a very closed off home, a lot of different rooms. It had a very heavy feeling to it. I kind of, to account for that, I just kind of account for there being no AC running in it for like the past week or so. But we immediately try to see if we can recreate what the owner had told us. They had, she and a friend, had both seen a little girl mimicking the likeness of her youngest daughter running up the stairs, not only audibly hearing her feet going up there and visually seeing her, but hearing her body hit the back wall. So we lined REM pods up the, up the entire span of the stairs, one at the bottom, one at the middle, one at the top. And we set EVP recorders in the rooms around us just to maximize any kind of evidence we might be able to get. Brenda and Whitney sat in the kitchen and we told them, sit there, let us know if you see, hear, or experience anything, but you guys can see the stairs. Just be a pair of eyes and let us know what you see from your end of things. We start asking questions and there's nothing. The REM pods aren't acting up. We're not hearing anything. We're not seeing anything. We're not feeling anything. It seems like a empty home. But then all of a sudden, we began asking yes or no questions. We finally just asked the million dollar question of any paranormal investigator to say, is anybody here with us? And the REM pod on the bottom step lights up. We then ask, are there more than one of you here with us? No response. We ask, is it just you here inside of this home? The REM pod in the middle of the staircase lights up. We then ask, are you the one who was here when the family was here? The REM pod back down at the bottom of the steps lights up. And then the REM pod to do something I have truly never seen them do. They began lighting up in order without us prompting them as though 
something were running up the stairs and moving past them. And they and each REM pod was picking up on this entity until it was right in front of Sylvia and I. And it did this repeatedly. Finally, we just asked the REM pod, they've been seeing a little girl in here. Are you a little girl? No response. Are you something bad? Is there something inside of this home that the family or even us that we should be worried about? No response. Is it an adult that's inside of this home? The bottom REM pod lights up on cue and it stays lit up for about 15 seconds until Sylvia says, that's all right, you can, you can stop that now. Stops on command. We ask it, are you the adult spirit who has been pretending to be a little girl? It lights up on cue and it stays that way in a manner I've never seen a REM pod do for another 10 or 15 seconds until Sylvia says, thank you for your response. Can you please back away? It stops on command. We didn't quite believe this. We didn't know if it was happenstance or what. We asked it again to verify what you are telling us is that you are a deceased entity. You're an adult, but what you've been doing when the family is here is pretending to be a child. It lights up on command, the bottom one on the stairs. For another five or 10 seconds, this time I say, thank you, you can stop that. It backs away. I turn to Sylvia, I say, there's a lot of mystery surrounding this. There's a lot of uncertainty surrounding this. This is a response from an entity that we weren't expecting. I think it's better if we pack our stuff up now and get out of this home. And we did that, we left. Well, I, I remember a bit comically yelling down to the girls, Brenda, Whitney, we're leaving right now. They couldn't have been more ready. They grabbed their stuff. They were out the door before we were even down the stairs because they had seen all of that themselves. We had heard that there was a lot of activity there. You know, I'd always heard uh, Jody talking about, you know, there's a camera in the build, you know, in that building that would constantly be activated and kind of telling her that there was movement even when she knew that there wasn't. And so I was curious going in there. Um, I never expected to receive the level of communication that we did that felt very, you know, being there in the moment, it felt very real from the moment, like when you would ask a question and then hear the response. And then, you know, we'd confirm like with a thank you, you know, that we'd heard the response and it immediately would stop as if, okay, cool. They know that I've said this and I've confirmed this or that, you know, I think that was really, uh, really surprising. We got out to the parking lot and we were heading back across the way to where our equipment was in the tasting room. And I've never seen two people so shook. As Whitney, had, as Whitney just mentioned, they weren't expecting this. They weren't anticipating this. They didn't perceive this as a possibility, but it was, so visceral, it was so real, and it was so incredible that they got to be there and see something like that with us, a direct question and response like that on cue. And I think a lot of the validity behind the story is because they were there to see it. But we were planning to be there for three hours more, and I had to honestly check in with them. We had to end up cutting the evening short after that experience because they no longer felt safe or wanted to be on the 
on the winery's property after seeing that. So we went back. As we packed up our stuff, we heard, of course, more footsteps and bangings in the tasting room beneath us. That was absolutely startling. They made damn sure that I was the one who went down the stairs and made sure everything was fine and nothing was going to jump out and spook them while they were down there. We went out the front door. We all turned off the lights together, locked up all three main buildings. We thanked them uh, very appreciatively and with gratitude for having allowed us to come out here and experience this. Uh, Sylvia and I got in the, our cars. They got in theirs, and we drove away. And I'll tell you this, I have never been riddled in so much anxiety and so much disbelief in so much clouded mystery at what we had just experienced the degree of activity and the diversity of activity that we saw i'm here to tell you for the very first time beyond marketing beyond posting that their team even does the phantom of the vineyard is real and I don't think he's alone. I don't know who's there with him. The property has a rich history. Evidently, a lot of the buildings surrounding them beyond the vineyard have a lot of activity themselves. I think there's a lot of research and no doubt a lot to be said for the things that have occurred on that land in the past. But the easiest way to sum up our investigation of Bogle Vineyards is the balance of powers that is there. I think that the phantom of the vineyard is inside of the tasting room. I think it's the entity that a lot of the workers see lurking about the vines and they hear walking around in the gravel. I think it's the bootsteps that a lot of the members of the early morning team hear roaming about the production facility. But I don't think the phantom is what's inside of the home. That's going to require more research. It's going to require more investigations. But I do think whatever the phantom is, whatever's inside that home. They know about each other. I don't think that they're working in tandem. I think they're living symbiotically and apart from one another. But I think, and I was very proud to be able to tell their team, there was a lot more to the history of this, of this land. There was a lot more to the Phantom Vineyards brand than even you guys know, and even we know. And the most exciting part is that the best is yet to come. What the entirety of that story entails. As always, take a look at the show notes for this episode to find links to the Haunted Historian's Instagram and TikTok to follow along on all of our spooky adventures wherever it is they may be taking us around the country. And don't forget to submit your own paranormal experiences to the email linked on our social media, hauntednarrative at gmail.com, for a chance to join the team for a future episode. Until next week, this is Connor Gossel of The Haunted Historian, signing off and wishing you and your team happy hunting. The Haunted Historian podcast is written by Connor Gossel and produced by Josh Hughes, with original scoring created by Tyler Quinn.